This morning we are continuing, possibly concluding. I haven't decided if this is going to be the last uh, sermon on this series or not. Maybe next week, maybe not. But possibly concluding our series on what does it mean to be a church member. I'm going to warn you up front. This is a heavy sermon for me personally, maybe for people in the audience here today. I, I'm fully prepared. I'm not going to lose it. But who said, you know, who, who knows how that's going to go? Uh, we'll see. We will see how it goes. Uh, remember, I want to start with this. Remember that being a church member, first and foremost, means submitting to the will of Christ. Number one thing, right? Is we're submitting to the will of Christ because it's, it's his church, right? He is the head of the body. But that's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's quite difficult to do so. Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think, this is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against... Man, that didn't take long. I've come to divide, is what he's saying here, right? To set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. This is Jesus again. I have not come to bring peace. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, I want to note the first thing. Jesus does not put qualifiers on this teaching. In fact, he's a little harsher in Luke 14, one of the parallels, a different time that Jesus says this, where he says, instead of saying, whoever loves his father or mother more than me, he says, whoever does not hate his father or mother. How hard or easy this is for you will vary widely from person to person, right? Because our life experiences vary so much, depending on who your father or mother or brother or sister, who they are. And more importantly, what they think about Jesus. One of the hardest things to accept about Jesus' will, if we're thinking that being a church member first and foremost means submitting to Jesus' will, is that he expects complete devotion and loyalty, yes, above even our family. Your parents, your brother, your sister, your daughter, whatever, they are second. That's not an easy thing to accept. This is perhaps, again, depending on circumstance, this might be the hardest command for you to follow. To love Jesus more than your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your son or your daughter. This applies, of course, not just to family. It applies, you can talk about government and friends and all the different ways in which we as humans organize ourselves. But... All the second, all the, all the other ways that we organize ourselves are secondary. In our, in our culture, at least, secondary to the family unit. We spend the most time with our family. We know our family the best. We are forced into our family, of course, because, you know, you can't control if you're born or not. That's not up to you. And then, for some of us, that breaks very quickly. The earthly family. It breaks, right? Uh, people do not treat each other the way they should. People are, are bad fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. And so maybe if that's the situation you're in, you look at this command and you're like, yeah, of course, duh, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna love Jesus more than I love my, my doofus whatever family member. 
But for a lot of people, family relations are good. It's the people you're closest to, people you love the most, the people who know you the best. And when it comes down to it, who do you love more? Who matters more? In this struggle, there is great benefit to go with the warning, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. There is a promise to go along with that warning. Romans 12, 4, 5, 4 through 5, this phrase, members of one another. We've talked a lot about being members of the body of Christ, but this particular phrase that is used a couple of times, Romans 12, 4 and 5, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I'm not just a member of Christ. I'm not just a part of his body, but I am a member of you. I belong, supposedly, hopefully, possibly, I belong with you. Being a church member is not just about being united with Christ. That is first and foremost. We, I want to be very clear about this. First and foremost, it is about being joined with Christ. But it's also about being joined with his people. To replace, in some cases, to supplement in others, the family that we have on earth. Ephesians 2.19 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now he's mixing metaphors here. The analogies run deep. Uh, we have a couple of different analogies. We'll, we'll read the rest of the text in a minute. The first analogy is of nationality, right? We have uh, strangers and aliens. That's a, that's a political statement. Uh, a statement of what nation do you belong to, okay? You strangers and aliens. The word aliens here uh, could be translated sojourners. Has to do with a foreigner. You're no longer foreigners. Uh, that is of a different nation, right? You used to be part of a different nation. You were a foreigner to the, the, the household of God, but now you've, you've become fellow citizens. Your, your citizenship has changed. That's the first metaphor. Then we have members of the household of God. That is a family term. The people that you live with, your household. Now, for tax purposes, of course, my household, we're thinking about tax season. Oh, joy, taxes. Uh, who is that going to be? It's going to be me and my wife and my two kids. But that's not always how it is. And in, in we think about the, what he's talking about here. Yeah, we think about typically the people in my household or my immediate family. But he's saying what? It's all of the saints. Anyone who is a saint is a member of the household of God. And then he gets to a third metaphor, the structure, the building, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The structure analogy is what? Who? We are the structure, growing together, being joined together, right? Being built together into a dwelling place for God. We used to be strangers and aliens. That is, we used to belong to different nations, but now we don't. We belong to the same nation. We belong to the same household. We've been joined together for a specific purpose. What is the purpose? For God to live here. 
Isn't that it? We're being built together into a dwelling place for God. That's why we're together. The more people join, the better his dwelling is. And it supersedes national bonds. It supersedes familial bonds. It supersedes blood. It supersedes all the ways that we categorize ourselves as humans. What matters most of all is, are you part of God's temple? Now, does this mean that our family is suddenly perfect and free, with, free, uh, free from conflict? Of course not. We understand that, right? Because as any family, it's made up of people. The problem is always people. Which is why he has to use language like this in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, Paul's writing to Timothy here, Timothy in the position that I'm in, and his point is, yeah, there's going to be some occasions for rebuke, but as you correct one another, you're doing so, we're thinking about correcting one another as we would family members. He says it this way in Galatians 5, 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Does the selfish tendency of humanity go away when you become a part of the church? Of course not. You're here today and you got problems. I can just say that unequivocally. You got problems. I don't, I don't even know who a care I'm looking at. I just know. The human tendency to selfishness does not suddenly go away. And so there is a warning here, right? That not, we should not bite and devour one another, not consume one another through selfishness. This is how families dissolve. is selfishness. Seeking our own benefit first. Seeking what we want above the other person. It happens in earthly families, and it can happen in the church, but there should be a special power in the unifying standard of Christ's will. Remember, being a church member means submitting to Christ's will. Being a church member means striving together to understand God's word, to apply it in our lives. There should be a unifying power in that. Philippians 1, 27-30 only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. What's the, the way he phrases that is very interesting. The clear sign of the opponents that are destruction is what? They are opposing the church and the church is not yielding that we are not giving up, that we are not frightened by them. That's the sign. Oh, man, we're trying to destroy this thing, but they're unified, they're firm, they're strong, they're striving together. For it has been granted for you, that you, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw and had and now hear that I still have. Because we commit ourselves to Christ's lordship, we can have one spirit. He says it in Ephesians, right? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above all. Because the unifying power of Christ is we all have one person who's in charge. Jesus, he's in charge. We all submit to that same standard. Because we're committed to striving together to understand God's word, we can have one mind. Okay, I have one spirit, the spirit of Christ. 
but we have one mind, one understanding. We're striving to understand things the same way. And this is indeed where it falls apart in earthly families, right? This phrase, not frightened in anything by your opponents. The result, if we are submitting together to Christ's will, if we are striving together to understand God's word, the result is what? That none of us face our opponents alone. I should rephrase that. None of us should face our opponents alone. But here's where it gets sad. Who are our opponents? Our opponents are anyone who does not submit to Christ's will and is not striving to understand his word. Which, yes, in many cases is going to be, we go back to the text we began with, our fathers, our mothers, our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our sisters, our aunts and our uncles, who become, because they are not of one spirit and not of one mind, they become our opponents. As I said, this is maybe for you, maybe not, maybe for you the hardest command to follow. To put Jesus ahead of your family. But he continues in Philippians. I hate this chapter break. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if. The so if. We can't just start Philippians 2 because there's a so if. So what? The, because of what he just said. We're striving side by side. We're of one mind because those things are true. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if there's any of those things, we have to look around and ask, do we feel in this group the encouragement in Christ? Is there in this group comfort from love? I hope so. Is there participation in the Spirit here? Do we have affection and sympathy for one another? He's describing a familial connection, isn't he? The familial connection we have in Christ. If those things are there, then what? Complete my love by being, of, uh, complete my joy rather, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Notice how many times he says in these two verses the idea of one mind, that we are unified. The thing that makes this so difficult is that people have their own ideas about stuff. And what breaks the family apart is when we are unwilling to submit our understanding to Christ. But this only works. This new family only functions if we commit to looking to the interests of others. That's when families break down, right? When selfishness becomes the default. That's how this family will break down when selfishness becomes the default. When we, instead of looking to others, when we begin to count ourselves as more significant, that it's about me, I'm the best, obviously I'm the best, right? that I'm the most important, I'm the one who matters, that I'm unwilling to begin to look to the interests of those around me. It's the same as any family. This works exactly to the degree of our willingness to invest 
in the well-being of the other members. Like any family, if we are willing to invest in one another, then this can be the best family that has ever existed. The best family because it's united by Christ in his spirit, in his will. And so what does it mean to be a church member? It means reorienting the way you conceptualize family. Hopefully, hopefully. And for many of us, this will be the case. Your earthly family has joined you in the spiritual family of God. That's the goal, right? Amen. I hope that's the case for you. That your earthly family has joined you in this spiritual family. In which case, great, you don't have to worry about loving father or mother or son or daughter more than Jesus because everybody loves him together and that's hunky-dory and hooray for us. But if not, then of course the promise, what? To go along with the warning, if this is not the case, if your earthly family is unwilling to join you in this spiritual family, being a church member means adjusting how you think about family which is not an easy thing to do. In some cases, it's impossible, which leads to what? If you can't do it, not only is your earthly family not part of the spiritual family, but then you leave the spiritual family because you're unwilling to put Jesus first, which is why he says that. That's what he means. When he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, that's what that means. There is a, a promise to go along with the warning, the, the blessing, the benefit of being in the church. Matthew 19, 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. The separation of those blessings the end result, ultimately we're looking to the end result, eternal life. But in the here and now, what did he say to Timothy? Do not rebuke older men, but encourage them as fathers, older men as mothers, younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters. This familiar relationship, the promise is what? If you can reconceptualize how you think about family, if you can put Jesus first, the promise is you'll receive more fathers, more mothers, more brothers and sisters, more children. That's who's here today, right? Look around. Look around. Don't look at me. Stop looking at me. Look at each other. Some of you are obeying. Some of you are not. You look around. You see fathers and mothers and brothers, and sisters. I appreciated what Paul said. That in eternity, we will be doing this together. These are the people, hopefully. These are the people that we will be spending eternity with. You can't really conceptualize eternity. It's hard to wrap your mind around what that means. Which is why all of the previous things that we've said in this series, the need for accountability. Why do we keep each other accountable? Because I want you to be with me in heaven, right? That's why I keep you accountable. That's why I say, hey, if things are not going the way they should, you're not doing the things you should be doing. That's why we correct one another, because I want you to be with me in heaven. 
why it's so important that we have a unifying standard that we're submitting to God's will because we all want to be in heaven together. Why it's so important that we're all trying to put Jesus first because he's the unifying standard. Again, replacement is not the right word. But a blessing that is a hundredfold what we might have to give up here and now. He's offering not an exchange, but a multiplication that you will receive more than you have left. Again, not just in eternity, but now. We'll finish with 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Watchful, sober-minded in what sense? Well, sober-minded is we're in, self, we're in control, right? We're thinking about how can we be controlled? How can we control ourselves? And we're being watchful, not just for ourselves, but for each other. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Who's he wanting to devour? Well, everyone's the, the most applicable answer, I guess. But more specifically, he wants to devour you and me. He wants to devour the people in this room. He wants to devour your father and your mother and your brother and your sister. He wants to eat them. Not physically, of course, but spiritually destroy them. We resist him how? Firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The same kinds of suffering. Those of us in this room who have had to leave mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, you're not alone in that. My guess is most of us have had to make that choice. The promise is that we comfort one another in that. That we fulfill that role for each other. The thing that we left. That we can provide that for one another. Because we know that he's still out there. That he wants each of us. So I'm watching, not just for myself, but I'm watching for who? I'm watching for you. And you're watching for me. Because we know that this is a unifying experience in the church. That it's happening in China, in Russia, and in England, and in Yugoslavia. It's happening wherever people are following God. This kind of suffering is being experienced throughout the world. And wherever we go, notice we have some visitors this morning, wherever we go, hopefully we find that family. Wherever we are. That we're providing that for others. As we conclude, we offer the invitation, a simple invitation, to be part of a family that transcends time and space. 
the cost to benefit ratio. The cost might be what? Your own brother or sister or father, your relationship with them. The benefit is ultimately what? Eternal life. We all make that calculus. Unfortunately for some, the calculus is insufficient. Hopefully for you, you find blessing in the family of God. 